You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First Corinthians chapter 1, if you can be opening your Bibles back to First Corinthians chapter 1. Yesterday, I'd met with the family um, over at George Boom and um, <clears throat> sat down with Les, who is the husband of Patty, who passed away, and then um, their daughter, Sarah, and their other son, who uh, I'm somewhat unfamiliar with, although he used to come to Sunday school here. Does anybody remember one of their boys in any of the classes? Oh, Nick, maybe? I can't remember. He's a little boy. <clears throat> But Les was really, really struggling. I mean, one of the toughest ones I had seen in a long time in one of those kinds of meetings. And he could really, he could use our genuine, sincere prayers tonight. Um, God will help him get through this. <clears throat> so, if you remember, we are, a lot of years ago I did a series in 1 Corinthians. And I keep hesitating because every time I read it, I want to go back through it just like the book of Joshua and and many others that I just, it just really speaks to my heart, and um, so it, um, God gave me some good liberty in that, and I, so we're back in 1 Corinthians. I just want to remind you, it's just really important that you remember um, Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians were written because of so much correction that was needed in those churches, and Paul um, just was the master at, and of course the Holy Spirit author of the whole word of God. I get that. But God uses those men's personalities, and he was so good at working into people's lives right where they were and um, kind of doing an open-heart surgery without you even knowing it. Before you know it, he's done some major work in your heart, and I I love the way he does it. Uh, Sometimes it's just, you know, uh, he just attacks it. Uh, It might even seem like in a vicious nature, and then at other times, like I just mentioned, calmly and works his way in. So we're trying to get a lot of problems corrected all in one letter, quite a lengthy letter. Can you imagine somebody writing you a letter with how many chapters are in 1 Corinthians, uh, which didn't have chapter breaks or verse breaks in it? It was just one long letter, which really was written to kind of get you straightened out. Can you imagine getting a letter like that from somebody that really, really loved you? Uh, pardon the 72 pages of my letter, but, you know, but that's what this was. He was writing this to this church. You need to understand that uh, these epistles were written to local churches, and as the um, admonitions, the encouragement, and the challenges are being given, they're given to local churches, like, like us sitting here tonight. It would be like us getting this letter, and, uh, and it was to help churches to know how to live their lives and how a church ought to operate. One of the big problems this church had was they got lifted up in pride. They knew that God had given spiritual gifts. and We're going to address that as we get over into chapter, especially chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about really messing up with spiritual gifts. 
And uh, it really got to their, it went to their, um, their head. They became high-minded and haughty and didn't even realize it. And again, Paul just comes in with his scalpel and really addresses those things. I love again how he did it. But part of their problem is really being addressed here tonight with this pride issue that got worked up, and he's trying to tamp it back down and uh, to get things back into perspective. And um, so part of their problem was they started elevating men. You remember that? Hmm, was it two Wednesday nights ago? We talked about the report of the divisions that was in the church. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I'm, a, I'm of Peter. Well, we're, we're of Christ. We're the, we're the greatest group. Well, you're still forming factions and divisions, even if you call yourself the group of Christ. You've separated yourself, and he really has to deal with that contentious spirit that they had. And now he has to work on, and I'll just say, if, if what we're going to read here tonight was brought into, uh, into a church service and was teaching us what a church service is supposed to look like and not look like and what the emphasis during a church service is supposed to be, this is an excellent passage of Scripture for that. You kind of got to break it down a little bit and realize this was written to a local church. It could be very much like, and I realize back in the day they didn't have pulpits and, and mics and all that, but it could be very much like a pastor standing up to his church and say, hey, listen, Paul wrote us a letter. Here's some things we really need to get working on. And then he would read these verses. So will you start with me? I want to pick up in verse 17 again, chapter 1 and verse 17. Um, and then we'll work our way down through the rest of the chapter, okay? So if you'll remember, he's, Paul's saying, I'm so thankful I didn't baptize a bunch of you guys because then you'd really, really think I was the one to rally around and be the group for you. So he says in verse 17, for Christ sent me not uh, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not here, Here's the phrase we need to pick up on, and it's kind of the theme of the rest of these verses. Not with wisdom of words. Bell ringer. That kind of needs to kind of ring throughout the churches. Not with wisdom of words, by the way, as your emphasis. That's all that means. Because if that's what you do, notice what happens. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, if that's what you emphasize in your church. For the preaching of the cross, look in verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, or to people that aren't saved, it's foolishness to them. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Would anybody say an amen to that? I, I can understand when a lost man sits in the church service, keeps crossing his legs one way and then another, and looking at his they used to whirl around and look at the clock. Now they just, or they pull their phone out. I understand why a lost man does that, because this is foolishness to him. But to us that are saved, man, this is power. It's the power of God into salvation, uh, is, is what he's trying to say there. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, this is an um, quote out of the book of Isaiah. Maybe you have that reference written at the end of that verse. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And he's, that's a prophecy about the day Christ comes to the earth and how he turns, you know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees' wisdom upside down. Verse 20. So now he says, where is the wise? 
Where is the scribe? Where, where is the disputer of this world? Those guys I just mentioned. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? By the cross. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, their own human wisdom, knew not God. They couldn't figure God out by their own minds. Um, uh, let's see. They knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, not by foolish preaching, but by what seems foolish to a lost man. It pleased God that that foolish-looking thing will still save those who will turn to Christ and believe on him. I love how Paul's doing this. 22, for here's, here's the problem with some people. The Jews, they require a sign. They always have all the way back into the Old Testament. For us to believe something, you've got to prove it. For the Jews require a sign, and the, and the Greeks, the philosophers, seek after wisdom. But contrary to all that, we preach Christ crucified. This blows them away. Under the Jews, guys, that's a stumbling block because a Messiah is not supposed to die. And that's a stumbling block to them. And then under the Greeks, the philosophers, well, that's foolish. And that's what he's recognizing that for the culture of that day. Under the Greeks, foolishness. Uh, but he comes back to us. But unto them which are called, and every time you see the word called, it's referring to those of us who are saved. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We know that. We know that preaching is where our power is, and the only wisdom that can be had in all the world has to come from God. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God, or what they think is foolishness, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God, a Savior that dies, they think he's so weak, is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, he's saying, look around you, just look and see at all the people that are saved. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called or really end up getting saved, is what he's saying there. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, those things that seem foolish, to confound those who think they're wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world, which they're calling Christ, to confound the things which are mighty. We know so much. And base things of the world. Here we are, guys. This is us. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not had no real existence in the, in the mind of the lofty people to bring to naught things that are or people that think they're really something. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's a big one. That ought to be highlighted in your Bibles. You ought to be able to remember that. That, that's, that's, that's a, should, that should be like a theme of our church. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Because it's not about us during church, guys. It's not about us in a worship service. It's not about lifting up some man or what some guy can look like. It's all about God and him getting his glory. As I said a while ago, we serve an audience of one. And he's the one watching us, and we're giving him his praise and his glory. 
So verse 30 and 31, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, uh, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's all those things Christ came to us with and represent for us. Man, that's, I mean, how much more powerful do you get than those gifts? That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. My prayer and desire is after we finish a church service and we're walking out of here and we're all talking and having a good time, shaking hands and asking where you're going to go eat after the service and all these things. I pray that by the time we walk out those doors, God will have gotten his glory in what takes place in this building. That's a big, big thing to God. And Paul spends these verses right here to kind of ring their bell a little bit and say, guys, let's wake up to some things here and realize who needs to be elevated and not just prominent, but preeminent in your services. So let's pray here and let me share these thoughts. God, thank you for your word again tonight and how you spoke to my heart and smote my heart. And I pray tonight, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through this word. May we take it seriously and and consider it, Lord, and, and ask even ourselves, uh, am I living up to what you're saying, or, or do we kind of sit on the side of those that needed to hear this ourselves and to make some changes? I believe all of us could make changes from time to time, so please have your will and way, and I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. so how do you get to where number one where you have church in the first place i mean we didn't start off needing church and how do you get to a place where you have to be corrected as god's people to tell them hey guys watch out what you're doing because when you go back to the garden of eden think about this Uh, i mean they had the best that earth listen think about this they had the best that earth has ever seen It didn't get any better than what Adam and Eve had. Everything they ever needed was just hand-fed to them. There was nothing on earth that that was uh, lacking uh, in their needs. And it was simply the love and the mercy of God that God had for His creation. Again, they lacked nothing. God was their everything. Literally, it didn't get any better than where they were and how it was. I mean, I'd like to take a vote and go back there. Amen? That, I'd love to be back uh, to a time like that on earth. Um, but Satan began a campaign to get men to trust in their own wisdom and their own might and having their own rights and having their own understanding. And it was a strong campaign that he waged. And it's been a very successful campaign, unfortunately, when men feel self-sufficient like I'm, I'm pretty good by myself. I can handle life myself. I think I, I can uh, get through life this way, and I don't need so much instruction in my life, and I hear what those guys are trying to say to me, but I, I got this. When men get to a place where they become self-sufficient, then men no longer need God because you feel like you've got life handled. And when in reality we have no wisdom, we have no strength, Uh, and understanding on our own whatsoever we have none 
A name some of you might be familiar with in recent days is Stephen Hawking. Does that name mean anything to anybody? Stephen Hawking. Okay, and I could give you a whole lot of information about him, but I didn't want to go into it. I'll simply, simply say he is a renowned, was a renowned scientist who recently died at 76 years old. I believe he had Lou Gehrig's disease, if I'm not mistaken. Um, lived many, many years past what uh, people are supposed to live with that disease. But <clears throat> people would say he was a wizard. I mean, Hawking worked as director of research at the Institute for Theoretical Cosmology. Um, the guy was a brain. He really, truly was. The following year, he co-authored a book called The Grand Design. And after the book was published, please listen to this, after the book was published in 2010, Hawking told CNN News that science can explain the universe without the need for a creator. Here's his, here's his statement. Gravity and quantum theory caused universes to be created spontaneously out of nothing. So now they can explain in scientific terms how the world came into existence, kind of is what he's saying. He goes on to say, his last sentence that I'm going to quote tonight is, science is increasingly answering questions that used to be the province of religion, he added. In other words, now science is able to answer what only we used to throw off to people who believed in God and let them kind of throw out to us what they think uh, how this world came into existence. Now we as scientists can know in a scientific way how the world could have been brought into existence. He said there may be a God, but now we can explain by science how the world could have been created without God whatsoever, which is absolute baloney, <laughs> foolishness. Let me give you a good Bible verse for that. Two of them, by the way. Romans 121, because that when they knew God or they knew about God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Listen to Romans 122, professing themselves to be wise, you know the next phrase, they became fools. So professing themselves to know uh, things that really only belong to God, they think they know that by their own wisdom, they have now professed themselves to be utter fools. That's exactly what that is. And this is the theme of what Paul's trying to say to these Corinthians and to any who will take seriously the message that he is trying to give to us here tonight. So let me, let me show you and let me just right off the bat, I'm going to say in my first point, uh, really, if I only had one point, I'll say it in my first point, but there's several thoughts that will follow after that. So what is Paul's emphasis is to be found there in verse 17. Look at it again with me. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, <clears throat> lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So Paul stood up and he's writing this letter and he's like, I wish I could be there and I could say this to you and you could see my heart and know the tenderness that I'm saying this with, but I, I've, I've been uh, brought into this ministry to preach the gospel not with eloquence, 
not with words that would make you just gasp at how well he can say things and his knowledge of the, his language and so forth. Because he said, if it was done with the wisdom of men, then the power of the cross of Jesus Christ would be made of none effect. You might as well get this. Here's what he's saying. You might as well bump Christ out of the way and let's just put a man in his place. That's exactly what he's saying. Because if you think somehow, some way that in Paul saying that I can stand up and, and be like an Apollos who could really speak eloquently and everybody was just drawn to his voice and his mannerisms, if you think he says I could just stand up and, and just the way and the manner which I can speak just draws people and brings crowds in, if you think that that's why I came here, then he said, then why in the world am I preaching the cross? Uh, uh, can we just shove the cross behind me and let me step out in front of that and let me be the emphasis then of uh, what takes place in, the, in your church? But he said, that's foolish. And he said, I, I, I don't want that. I didn't come to you with the wisdom of words because if we do that in Eastside Baptist Church, if our church gets the place to where what well, let me just get into my points, all right? His emphasis was not on eloquence. His emphasis was on substance, the gospel of Christ, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. His emphasis was not so much on the man, but on the message. He wanted to make sure it was about the preaching and not the preacher. And you've got you've to know that that is just the opposite in a lot of churches around America that in a lot of churches around America, it is more about the man. And maybe not so much just the man behind the pulpit or the glass podium or on his stool, whatever it might be that he has chosen to preach from. It may not be so much about that man as it might be the group that was singing or those who were dancing or those playing the musical instruments and... Uh, you know, every now and then we'll have some folks like the singing on the last few Sundays. We have good music here all the time. But I think it was last Sunday people clapped, or was it the time before? And so some folks started to clap, and, and uh, I'm trusting their hearts were moved and stirred by what was said. And, and so it was an uh, honor to the Lord. Um, and, and that's fine. Uh, the Bible speaks in the Psalms about clapping the hands, but that is intended to be a praise to God. But sometimes in church, after a singer will sing their song, the clapping is saying, that was a good job. Wow, you, you did a tremendous job. And by the way, it probably was a tremendous job. And, and wow, what a voice so-and-so has. And man, can they ever, I've heard these words used, but can they ever fill an auditorium with that voice? Uh, boy, that church has got some singers in it, don't they? And, and those kind of things. If that's what this was all about, then the preaching of the cross is in vain because now uh, you're, you're emphasizing the man over the message that God intends to get across, honestly and truly. Sometimes it can be the pastor. Um, I wish I had an eloquent voice. I know I've said this a lot in the last couple of months. I wish I had the big old resonating baritone voice. 
Um, people kind of sit up on the edge of the pew and listen a little bit better. You know, some of these guys even have that New England or British accent when they preach. Man, I think that sounds so good. I, I think it'd be kind of neat to have that. <laughs> I think it'd be neat. But I can tell you this, that if I got up here with a deep baritone voice instead of my squeaky tenor voice and sinuses draining and clearing my throat every now and then and coughing and hacking, if I got up here with that kind of a voice and walked out of here saying, <laughs> sounded pretty good. Let me listen to myself. You ever listen to yourself on, used to be cassette, CD? You ever listen to your voice? Oh, you're like, oh, who is that? Oh, I don't like that. But I listened to myself that time. Hey, sound pretty good. Man, you ought to listen to our station a little more often, you know. So what he's saying is, this church had gotten to a place where they put the messenger out and built up the man and built up the people and without even realizing it, while the people were singing their songs and preaching their message and going around through their church and using their spiritual gifts, what they had failed to realize was now they've begun to elevate themselves. They've cranked themselves up, ratcheted themselves up a few notches. Oh, they got Jesus Christ over here in this hand, but they got themselves right here in this hand. And they're lifting themselves up. So not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Because, guys, the cross of Christ is the only message we have and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And he is the only one that deserves the greatest glory and the honor in this world. You show me a church that elevates the man and his talents and emphasizes humanity over the pure message of the gospel, and I'll show you a, a ministry, I'll show you a church that has lost its power. Hey, they may have a lot of influence, please hear this, they may have a lot of influence by the thousands they may have a lot of influence, but if they've elevated the singers and the dancers and the music and, and the lights, if that kind of thing is what is thought of most as you walk out of a church service and Christ is somewhere in your life back here, but Christ is not the elevated one, then guys, I'm telling you, that church has lost its power. According to the Word of God. If you remember, part of the curse brought on by Satan was to make man think he could be somehow self-sufficient. Remember Eve? Uh, she was told, here comes the serpent, you could even be as gods, listen to the words, you can be as gods knowing good and evil. Knowledge, wisdom. Man, you're going to be really sharp and smart if you'll just listen to me. Hey, that didn't sound too bad. And she bought into it. I've always chuckled at uh, that saying I read on a wall one day, and the, the little quote was this. It said, I've never thought that I was the greatest person in the world, but what's my opinion against millions? You have to think that through a little bit. That's the attitude a lot of people have. Hey, people think I'm great, and I'm kind of the elevated one. If I could just say this tonight, God deliver us from a ministry that thinks it's about our great wisdom and our great talents and our great appearance and so on. I mean, Paul fought to make sure that his goal in his life and in his ministry was to lift up the cross of Jesus Christ 
and not the fleshly attraction of what man can do. Hey, let me tell you something. Um, the elections were yesterday. Everybody know that? Did y'all vote? Okay. So we were a precinct here yesterday, and I thought, hey, that might be a good way for people to find out where Eastside Baptist Church is, get a few people in. I thought if we had 50 or 100 people that could make it into the voting yesterday, it'd be great. We had almost 1,000 people come through our church at our open house. I mean, elections, uh, the voting yesterday. But I'm telling you, for me, it was open house. Honestly, they told me at the city when they came and asked if we'd be willing to offer our building. And and I'm like, yeah. He said, open your, guys, he's open your glass doors here and turn the lights on. Let all the people see what you guys have got here. So I did. And all day long, people were coming in our church, talking to the ladies working the tables there. Man, this is a beautiful building. We didn't even know this place was here. They're just going on and on, over and over and over. We were hearing that. And the ladies would come and and tell me that. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord. God has been so good to us. Guys, the minute we think that we can bring folks in and wow them because of a building and the way it looks, if that's where we begin to go on our emphasis, we lost our power. Because it's all about the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise God, I love our building so much. And I love the way things are. And it's, it's great to have folks like where you're coming to worship. That's a super duper thing. I mean, great if it's attractive to people, but our number one emphasis, as Paul said, on all of these verses must be that Jesus Christ and his message is number one. It must be. So he takes verses 18 down to verse 23, and he goes into the emptiness of how empty man's wisdom is. Let's just kind of get into this, and I'll see how far I can make it before it gets late tonight. But the emptiness of man's wisdom, get into verse 18 with me. We'll just walk through and talk through some of these verses. Four, look in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, lost people, foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, let me just say it again. If that verse was being lived out in a church service, um, you, you've got, and I know I kind of already said this in my reading of the verses already, but I, I've seen it many times in a church service, Easter service, this one, uh, especially. I saw folks here that probably did not know the Lord and, and knew so because of what others have told me and so forth. But I, it was one of those, man, and, and the Easter message to me is always so powerful. I love preaching the Easter message and the, uh, the power of the resurrection that's available to the Christian and so forth. But you should have seen the two different factions of people that are in church on Easter. One group, and it's the largest group, is amen, and you kind of every now and then you'll pipe in with me and, you know, you throw a, a, a bone to the dog and he'll bark a little louder. You say an amen, and, and I like that, and it's encouraging to me, and, and I can tell that the message is being a blessing. But there are some that what is being said is as foolish as can be and really can't wait for whenever this long-winded preacher is going to get done so they can get out of here. Because verse 18, again, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, it's foolishness. But unto us, which are saved, it's the power of God. And by the way, the preaching of the cross is the only thing that is the power of God to a congregation. Verse 19, 
For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, the scribes and the Pharisees. As I said, I'll flip their wisdom upside down. They won't understand how in the world people want to follow a guy like Christ. Verse 20, where is the wise, uh, the scribe, uh, the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yeah. He went to the cross. They spat on him, pierced his side, and all those things we've talked about. They mocked and made fun of him and said, now, you know, come down and deliver yourself. You saved others. Save your own self now, laughing and mocking at him. But three days later, we had a little bit of an earthquake going on. The graves rattled, and Jesus Christ came out of his tomb. Amen. And all the wisdom of those scribes and the disputers of this world, God made their wisdom foolishness. Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, their own human wisdom, knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Can you look back up here? It pleased God by what? That people would get saved? Did it say by foolish preaching? No, but by the foolishness of preaching. Name that by the lost people that are sitting out there, arms crossed, looking at their watches and ready to get out of here. That foolish message that those guys preach, God says, the way I have chosen to save the lives of men is by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it would behoove every church, and especially this Corinthian church, to understand that your number one emphasis is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get the message right, preach it right, get the service set in such a way that, I say it on Wednesday nights, I try to say it on Sundays, when you sing your songs, praise God with those songs. When the Word of God is preached, listen intently. Show others around you that you're interested in the message of the Word of God. Let the lost people around you know that, man, this is something that's changed their lives. I've never seen anybody so excited about preaching. I mean, it is the power of God unto salvation, and this is the very thing God has chosen to change the lives of men once and for all, the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Do you know why I'm even going to use the word most people go to the churches they go to, and even here in Sioux Falls? I might be wrong about the word most, but I don't think I'm off on this. Um, they go because of who goes to the church. I'd, I'd like to go to a church where there's friends. That's a good thing, wouldn't you say? Uh, wouldn't it be nice if you got a real friendly church and they invite you in and so forth? Um, and you just feel like I'm a part of the church. But sadly, the criteria that many people use to determine what church they want to go to are things like, what do they have to offer to my family? Do they have things that will be fitting to us as a couple, us as our children? Uh, What do you have to offer in this and this and this? And that's like 90% of what they use to determine where I'm going to go to church. Uh, Do you understand that? Does everybody agree with that? Largely, from what I hear from lots and lots and lots of people. Um, I even have people that will come to our church and I'm not trying to set us up as some great example or anything, but they'll come here from time to time and they'll say, 
I've heard, I will say dozens of people over the years tell me, that's the kind of preaching I was raised, uh, raised up under. That's the kind of preaching I really believe in. That's the kind of preaching that I wish our church preached. And I'm like, wow, that's really, that's a, I appreciate the, the whatever, the compliment or whatever. Why don't you come back next week? Yeah, we'll be back. And I just wave goodbye as they turn their back because I know that's the last time I'll see those people. And I believe they're very genuine about loving the message. But there are, listen, there are other things in this world today and in the culture that you and I live in that have taken, the, listen, the cross of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel, that which only has the power to change the lives of people and have taken that message and have kind of moved it around behind and have brought back into the front man, man's ways, man's philosophy. Um, I'm not putting down friendship. I, I love having friends and I'd rather sit in church with friends than to sit in a group of people I don't really know yet or feel like I haven't been made a part of. I, sure, I'd rather sit with friends. But number one criteria for every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world is what is preached from the pulpit? What is the message that's being put out there? What is the, what is the message that's either going to make or break your life for Christ? It might make the difference in heaven and hell for some people. Obviously it would. And, and Paul is trying to say to them, guys, you got some things flipped upside down here and turned all around. Uh, and he shows them the... Uh, the emptiness of the wisdom of man, and then he goes into uh, the effect of the gospel toward the saved, verses 24 on down through the rest of these verses. Uh, what I'm going to do tonight, we've, we've read all the verses together. I kind of talked about them already, um, but look in verse 24. I'll just pinpoint a couple of these. Verse 24. But unto them which are called, now this is a message toward the saved, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. When I get the gospel preached to me, when I get the truth of the word of God, and, and I, let me just put it this way, whether it's a squeaky voice preacher, um, a preacher with a baritone voice, or you just get a preacher up there and he has just, uh, Dwayne Earwood. Anybody here ever heard Dwayne Earwood preach? <laughs> you heard him preach, didn't you? Dwayne Earwood gets up and from the beginning, well, I'm not going to scream like he does, open your Bibles, page number, and then he just screams and that's, it's level 10 till he says amen and we're dismissed. Why, whoa! Whether it's that or whatever I've said, if they have preached the gospel, that is the power and the wisdom that God wants a church to have. God's not looking for a church to say, man, that church is filled with, man, those singers, that preacher, that Sunday school teacher really got a mind, man. Uh, they're, they're really something. Now, if they go away saying, I got so much from that preacher. I got so much from that lesson. Uh, that song just spoke to me about God and his glory. Hey, praise God. Because we're pointing to Christ and he's getting the glory and that is the power and the wisdom of God that God wants. It has a powerful effect toward the saved. Verse 27, God's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that, which are mighty. That's the cross 
that weakling up there on the cross, confounds things which are mighty and wise on this earth. Verse 28, and base things of the world, that would be us. Things which are despised. Things which are not. Um, really had no existence in the eyes of high and mighty people. But God has chosen little people like you and me to get saved from the gospel and our little light that we let shine can change the lives of the wise of this world. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Um, Can I just say this again? You hear me say this often. It's very encouraging if somebody says to me, hey, pastor, God spoke, spoke to my heart through the, the word today. Thank you so much. And I, that's encouraging. Um, and, and that's a blessing to know that God used me in some way. But friend, if anytime you've sang a song, you've preached a message, you've taught a lesson, you've, you've helped somebody out in some capacity, you, just, you were hospitable, you were a blessing to someone, Anytime somebody pays you a compliment, immediately in your heart, give God the glory. No flesh should glory in his presence. No little hunk of clay that God breathed his breath of life into should turn around and say, yeah, I guess I am really something, aren't I? Yep, I'm getting better and better at that. God help us not to be that way as a church and as a congregation. Um, Verse 30 and 31 But of him, of him, or because of him, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Here's what we get from God. And only because of him do we have these things. He is made unto us. We get his wisdom. We get his righteousness and and his sanctification. And get this one, we get his redemption. All because of what he brought to us. Nothing that I was able to manufacture myself. What am I thinking letting myself receive glory and honor? It's all because of Him. So giving me His glory every night. Try to get into a habit when you go to bed at night. And I've really worked at this. I, I don't get it all the time, but I really try. When I lay my head down on my pillow, I just say, Thank you, God. You did great in my life today. You've done such wonderful things. To God be the glory. Just something like that and try to say it from my heart. Verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Could anybody else just say tonight, we serve a great God, amen? He's the only one that deserves the praise. He's so glorious. He's, he brought his wisdom to us. He's, his righteousness is in me. I'm sanctified because of him. I'm redeemed because of him. How in the world could a church, and that was the problem with Corinth, God help us to not become like that. Eastside Baptist Church, please pray that God will help us not to become like that. But how does a church get to a place where they are running around with the spiritual gifts that God gave us to proclaim the message of the cross and act like we're really something? We're the church in town, or whatever, honestly. So God help us. And I, I'm just saying tonight, as we go to the Lord in prayer, I, I think it would be an honorable thing that the first thing we say, you know, take your prayer list for sure, and let's pray for all those folks and all those needs. 
But I think a worthy thing to say is, God, you're so glorious. It's all about you and the cross of Christ. It's nothing to do with me. And, and I'm thankful that somehow you've chosen to place me as a little nail, as uh, the Bible says, you know, somewhere in the temple or in the wall that you could just use somewhere in a little tiny way. Thank you that you choose to use me. But I thank God for what you've done for me. I think he's worthy of that tonight. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.